I'm Laura Cox Kaplan. This is She Said, She Said. Schuler is the executive director of Winning for Women, an organization dedicated to leveling the political playing field for right-of-center women. The organization's grassroots focus aims to provide a counterbalance to Emily's list on the political left. Rebecca and her team is building a stronger support network for Republican women. That effort includes helping women candidates raise funding needed to get elected to federal office. We're excited to welcome Rebecca to the podcast today, where she'll talk not only about winning for women, but also her terrific career. Rebecca, welcome to She Said, She Said. Oh, thank you, Laura. Really happy to be here and appreciate it. So happy to have you. Winning for Women is taking a slightly different approach. There's a lot of groups Mm -hmm. that are out there focused on trying to level the playing field. How is winning for women different? Well, Laura, that's a great question and one that we frankly get a lot and something that, you know, I like to lead off by always saying there's a lot of great groups out there that are working on this goal and there's a need for a lot of great groups to be working towards this goal. The way Winning for Women, however, is operating is a little bit different. You know, we when we started this effort, we looked at a way that we could be additive to the effort as opposed to duplicative and understanding that it is our to our benefit and to everyone's benefit for us to be working together with the other groups that are working towards this, this common idea of seeing more women in office. Um, where we differ a little bit is twofold. Um, one, as a C4 organization, we are looking to build a community of women across the country. Um, we have just over 350,000 members um, of people who are dedicated to be seeing more women in office um, and seeing more women have opportunity in general. And through that, um, these women can look, and, and men, um, we, we pull in both women and men as members, they can activate in many different ways. They can turn into small dollar donors, they can turn into grassroots activists, they can use our organization as a way of, of gathering information and just figuring out ideas and, and causes that they want to support. The other thing that we do is figure out ways to help women who are choosing to jump into the ring to find greater success on their paths to election. And that can mean a lot of things. But what we're going to do is take a pretty critical look. If you have chosen as a, as a great candidate to jump into a race, uh, Winning for Women is going to take a, a hard look at your race and figure out ways that, there, that, you, that you need support and figure out ways that there are, are opportunities for us to do so. Again, so we're, we're taking sort of a, a holistic approach of figuring out ways that we can add to the system to both activate a large nationwide network um, and also, you know, taking a more micro look to see if there are things that we as an organization can do to specifically help um, you in your, in your quest. This approach is somewhat different from what we've seen in the past. Mm-hmm. A lot of groups are specifically focused on really more the short-term objective of just the money piece, yep. whereas your organization is really working to build a community. And you, you touched on that. Can you dig a little bit more deeply about 
how you're going about creating this grassroots network. Sure, that um, you know, also a great question. And how big is it too? Oh, that's a great question, <laughs> and, one, and one frankly we're quite proud of. Um, we started recruiting members late 2017, really in earnest early 2018, and we are excited to say that we just crossed over our 350,000 member mark. So, you know, again, in just over a year, we've we've pulled in over 350,000 people across the country who think that this is an admirable thing to be doing. One of the reasons that that is such a, a remarkable stat is just that if you see the national narrative right now, and I think it's a good one, that this is a time for women to become involved, it often overlooks the right of center aspect of that. Um, you just don't hear a lot about the conservative women who are jumping into the ring as well. And I think that a primary marker of our membership just shows that there is a home and a want and a need for right of center women as well. Um, what does that membership mean as well? Um, frankly, it's people across the country. Um, in states and areas where perhaps there's more active political goings on, um, probably we have more members, but that's not necessarily by design. That's just showing where you know people have have chosen to engage. Um, you know, I think that in time this will hopefully look like an, an an effort that can again, as you mentioned, rival some of the frankly well done efforts on the left um, that are able to really amass basically an army to go help their cause. Um, you know, we have work to do to get there. That 350,000 number looks a little bit less impressive when you compare against some of our peers in the spectrum. That said, um, you know, we've been able to put that together pretty quickly, and I am optimistic that that will continue in, in, you know, at, at a really nice clip. So we're on the heels of the 2018 cycle where we saw an, an historic number of women elected. Mm-hmm. But that number of women skewed dramatically to the left, and we lost some ground on the political right yep. in that cycle. Rebecca, are there particularly unique challenges to women on the right as it relates to running for office? Where to begin? <laughs> um, yes. Or maybe I should rephrase that and say, what are the most significant challenges for women on the right? Well, you know, I think that you mentioned a key one early, and that is that is resources and, you know, put it bluntly, money. Um, and that is something that we are interested in doing as well. Um, you know, I think that it's hard to jump into politics these days. Um, there are many, many obstacles that face any candidate and particularly women just because um, I think both parties, frankly, haven't been designed or updated to find women and support them. Um, And again, where to begin on what those challenges are, but everything from how do you take care of your young family or perhaps your aging family to how do you find a donor network, how do you hire the right staff, the list goes on and on and on. I'd like to say that Winning for Women is here to solve all of those problems for all women now. Um, And again, I think there are other groups, um, you know, Julie Conway over at ViewPack, um, you know, the women at right now, these are all groups that are you're know, helping within the system as well. Frankly, there's room for more. Um, but again, the the right, frankly, just hasn't dedicated resources to date, um, focused solely on finding women candidates and then figuring out how from A to Z to make sure that they have the support that they need to get them from that very first moment where that, that idea starts to germinate all the way down to hopefully they're being sworn in as a member of the U.S. House or Senate. Our mutual friend, Representative Elise yep. Stefanik, has just launched an effort to really double down for women in primaries. Yep. How significant is that? How important is it to play in primaries? I think that is amazing. And we could not love the effort that, that Elise Stefanik is doing more. Um, you know, I think that she holds a very unique vantage point um, and, and perch of being able to really raise awareness for this, this issue and also push along um, both the party from an internal and external perspective 
initiative to recognize the need to see a a representative body that looks more like the country um, and understands that women so often have issues getting through that that's so critically important primary election and if you don't give them the opportunity to get through there they obviously have no opportunity to win in a general um and that's something that, you know, both at least through the EPAC effort, um, Winning for Women through obviously our own effort, um, and a few others are really trying to make sure that we are have our acts together early in 2020 um, to see that that we see a change in that. Um, you know, if, you, if women aren't on the playing field to begin with, which they can't be if they don't get through that primary, then they just don't have a shot at being there down the road. Yeah. She got some pushback for her approach. She did. She did. <laughs> <laughs> what did you think about that? Did that surprise you? I can't say it surprised me. I mean, change is hard. And I think that also as a party, you know, we and Winning for Women agrees with this, that we want to see the best candidates in. And that has traditionally been interpreted as we're not going to go, you know, sort of look for anyone based on criteria such as gender. I think that where Winning for Women and and also the EPAC effort kicks in is an understanding that, again, you need to level the playing field of opportunity so that the best candidate can emerge. And oftentimes that best candidate is going to be a woman. We'd like to see our best and brightest women on the right make sure that they're in the game as well. What about other sort of inherent differences in the way that women and men run for office, unique challenges as it relates to raising money. Mm -hmm. I've always seen these the statistic that oftentimes women will raise as much money, if Mm -hmm. not more than a man, but they will make three times the number of phone calls in order to do it. So so what are you seeing in that regard in terms of unique differences? Well, I think first and foremost, women just have not been raised, trained, pushed, you name it, to go ask that oftentimes awkward and tough question of, please support me. You may not know my name yet. You may not know anything about me yet, but I can do a great job for you in this job. And this is why. Um, You know, I think there are ad nauseum studies out there showing that women tend to be more hesitant to just innately believe in themselves, something that an organization um, like Winning for Women, and I think, you know, all your efforts, Laura, as well, are trying to change with women. Um, So again, kind of going back to that critical point of of access to money, um, sadly, it is something that they need and something that we need to help our women get a little bit more confident in their ability to go in there and their desire to, to be able to ask for it. You know, in addition to that, though, the donor network needs to to shift a little bit, too. We would like to see more women donors. Um, You know, there there are some wonderful and great women donors out there, but we need more. And at the end of the day, and I don't have any science or backing to, you know, to put behind this, but often if you are so invested in in a race or an idea that you want, you're going to give your hard-earned dollars to support it, you want to see someone who you think represents you. You want to see someone who maybe looks like you, maybe acts like you, or you think is going to do all the above. And, you know, again, that's where that critical need for women is. Um, and I'll take it back to our membership at that point. Uh, we welcome men and women into our membership. But at the end of the day, you know, the person who's going to sign up to become a member of an organization like Winning for Women generally tends to be a woman. I think of our 350,000, we're about 80% women and 20% men. Again, we welcome the men. Um, it's just, you know, sort of self-selecting there. But they are more likely to hopefully write checks for the women candidates down the road. So we're hoping to see sort of that nexus, nexus kick in of, you know, women to women donating, which is going to help those resources really come in, I think, down the road as well. Now that we have this very large group of new Democratic women Mm -hmm. who were just elected, and we reflect on 
sort of the motivations to run for office. Do you see significant differences in why a Democratic woman runs versus why a Republican woman might run? I really don't. You know, at the end of the day, and I think that this is true on both sides of the aisle, there's just an energy to have your voice heard. And that's really pushing women to jump into the ring. Um, I think that the national narrative sounds different, um, that there are singular factors that are pushing women in. But what we've seen through our organization, and again, we're a group that is actively looking you know, for people who want to be politically involved, is that there are a lot of women on the right who want to get involved too. We have a button on our website, um, winningforwomen.com, <laughs> lots of great resources <laughs> on it. Um, but we have a get involved uh, button on there where you can, you know, do anything from try to figure out information about candidates or causes that you like, all the way over to giving us information to help us direct you to places if you're interested in making a run yourself. And I think by midpoint last year, we'd had several thousand women, you know, uh, click on that button and, and, and sign up for that that function. Which I think maybe, again, doesn't sound like that huge of a number when compared to some of our peers on the left. But again, this is an organization that doesn't have the name recognition that an Emily's List or, you know, sort of, or other groups on the left have. And yet we saw that, that interest kick in pretty quickly. And I imagine that number has only grown dramatically since then. So I don't know that there's any one factor that is pushing women or not pushing women um, to get involved other than just a desire to see their, their voices heard and hear their voices heard. So is winning for women uh, creating more opportunities for more diverse women candidates than perhaps we've seen in the past? We're hoping so, yes. Talk about how, some, give me some examples of that. We are different in that we, along with several other efforts right now, are trying to make sure that we jump in early enough and critically enough to find women candidates. We're not looking for women because they're women. We're looking for women because they present a path to success, eventual leadership, and hopefully can add some more to the party. And that more is where I think that the difference kicks in. We are really hoping that we can find women candidates who do push the party boundaries a little bit in many different ways. You know, at the end of the day, let's just get those those women numbers up. But I mean, my goodness, how excited are we if we find women who also are diverse or present more interesting stories um, than coming through the traditional channels. But, you know, I think just the very nature of us being there and, and actually looking for women in a more in-depth way um, helps do that. And frankly, if we find a diverse candidate, we're pretty psyched about it. Let me ask you what may be kind of a tough or sensitive question, if you will. Sure. Um, we've talked about the last election. In some respects, you could interpret what happened as a bit of a gut punch in terms of what you were working toward. Now, the organization's mm -hmm. new. You've only been around about a year, a little over a mm -hmm. year. Um, but it was not arousing success from the standpoint of factors on the right. And sure. that's really not, you know, personal to winning for women. Sure. There were a lot of other factors involved there. But how do you... On the heels of that, how do you keep your spirits high? And even more important, perhaps, how do you make sure that you don't lose momentum on your team? We're going to talk more about your team in mm -hmm. a second. But but how do you keep everybody sort of marching forward and not get discouraged mm -hmm. when you have a setback like that? Well, I think it's it's important to note that going into the election, our numbers were already quite low. So, you know, the, the women who work on my team um, and the people who support us had already recognized that there was a big need for it. Um, are the numbers where we would like them in both the House and the Senate? No, but there are a few positives to take from that. Um, on the House side, while, again, the numbers dwindled to a place that's, you know, frankly, in the last, last few decades, uh, lower than <laughs> it's been in quite a while, 
you did see a number of women ascend up either to higher office or attempt to do that. So, you know, not all of the losses were pure losses. Um, a good half of them were women who either went over into statewide office or ran for statewide office. And that's a good stat. Um, on the Senate side, you also have at a historic high for Republican women. We're at eight now, and that's that's also a good thing. Would we like to see both of those numbers higher? Absolutely. But I think that it's a it's too quick to say that the you know the that there was one specific factor that pushed Republican women to an all point low. Um, I think this again, this is a long term project and something that we're working towards, and a temporary dip. Yeah, not great, but something that we kind of anticipated would happen and that's something that, you know, isn't fully negative. And your donor base presumably mm -hmm. was hopefully realistic as it relates to mm -hmm. that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, again, if you're going to get involved with this, you understand this is something that's not going to get corrected overnight. Right. You win a few, you lose a few, yep. but you got to work really hard to get there. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, what originally inspired you to be part of this? I know that you've had a long and very successful <laughs> <kind>. career. <laughs> but why this? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, right out of college, I started working for my hometown congresswoman, Deborah Price from Ohio. And at that point, you know, I, there was an inspiring leader who had an interesting background. She'd been a former judge. And I saw that, you know, she was part of a elite but small group in, in the House. Um, and there, again, weren't many others over in the Senate. And it just seemed like something that needed attention. After that, I frankly jumped out of politics for quite some time, um, went to law school, was a litigator for a decade before jumping back into this. Um, and, and wasn't paying quite the attention to it um, over that time period that I had you know, back in my, the early stages of my career. But, you know, I always kept a bit of a finger on the pulse of politics and where women were for it. And, and something that I've watched over, you know, the last 20 plus years is that the divide seemed to grow um, and that the, the sort of national narrative continued that women were involved, but it was always on the other side. And when I looked to make a career change after the, the birth of my second child and sort of, you know, hunted around for what exactly did I feel passionate about and what did I want to, you know, use my time for, I looked at, you know, a whole bunch of industries, but again, sort of, you know, kept going back to Washington and, you know, we're Washingtonians at this point, so yeah, yeah. It, it was always here in the backyard. Um, but noticed that that group, you know, that initial sort of nucleus of women that I had worked for um, in the early stages of my career hadn't really grown much while they had on the other side. And that just felt wrong. Um, and it felt like there was an opportunity to, you know, do something that could really help change that. Um, I think that Republicans tend to get stereotyped and typecast um, into very specific roles. And I think the opportunity to see more women in the party helps change that mm -hmm. and something that I would like to see happen. So long answer to your question of I think that the past 20 years of sort of watching industries and women in the workplace pushed me to a place of marrying, you know, sort of my personal passions with a, an issue that I thought needed correction. And here we are today. Yeah. So your law firm experience, mm -hmm. no doubt, informed, you know, to Absolutely. a large degree, how you think about uh, leadership, how you mm -hmm. think about equity, how you think about all of these sorts of experiences. It is separate, but you know, law firms get a bad rap, perhaps mm -hmm. deservedly so, <laughs> sure, <at times. laughs> as it relates yeah. to retaining women. They mm -hmm. do a pretty good job of recruiting them, mm -hmm. but the retention piece is significant. 
Talk a little bit about what your experience was like and how that piece has informed your journey. Yeah, that's a, a great question. And, you know, I think that one of the things that has really kept me passionate about trying to help find opportunity for women is that I've seen different challenges hit women and hit me personally, you know, at different ages as I've progressed through my career. And it may just be an unfortunate coincidence that, you know, I had my kids while I was still at a law firm. But I think one of those juncture points that's particularly challenging for women to, you know, navigate is is those sort of years where you're having your kids and then raising your children. You know, while law firms, you noted, can be very good for women and frankly have been on sort of the the forefront of pushing longer paid leave periods and, and things like that that are helping women, I think that we tend to look at at uh, some of these situations through a, a, a too narrow of a lens. And so maybe they, you know, the industries can be helpful of, of allowing women to have a, you know, a longer period of time right after the baby's born. But my goodness, how hard is it, you know, six months, a year, three years, as your kids start to enter the later grades in elementary and middle school, et cetera, to balance that career and, and, that, that, um, the, and your family? Um, and I think that as a society, we're in a better place if we can help women figure out how to stay in the workforce if they choose. Um, you know, I think that one of the nice things about being a right of center woman is that we tend to look at this from a perspective of these are your choices and what works for your family is the right way to proceed. But it can't hurt us to help women figure out how to, you know, keep keep toes on both sides. Like that's that's helpful. Sure. Um, and I think that the law firm industry, again, you know, the legal industry has has some positive points on that, but it's also a tough one to to sort of balance, you know. Especially if you're a litigator, you're often working very, you know, long hours. You are you are not in control of them. Travel, travel, Jeez. politics isn't all that different. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> but but a little bit, um, you know. But that's that's tough when you've got a family at home. Um, and I think that again, as a as a people, we tend to help the men do it a little bit more. Um, I personally have seen, you know, my husband has tended to get a pass when the kids have been born or school things happen, you name it. The carving out a flexible time to to need to be at your child's school event or to take a leave or this and that gets seen as a positive, where I think for women, we tend to see it as a little bit of a liability on the workforce. Um, and that's something that I think we need to change. So again, long way of getting to, I think that there's just a real need for us to evaluate how we support women as they're navigating all of these stages of their careers. Yeah. And having more women in elected office obviously brings a lot of perspective around these topics. I know in violent agreement on that that point. So you, and you referenced this a second ago, Mm -hmm. you took a break Mm -hmm. um, at one point. I did. And for an awful lot of women, it can be really tricky to take a break and then jump back in mm-hmm. because you can find very quickly that you lose momentum, that you get very absorbed into, you know, if you're taking a break to raise your children or to care for aging parents or whatever the break mm-hmm. entails, you may find that you lose connections very, very quickly and that can have an impact on your confidence. Yep. Talk about the break that you took and how did you then get back in? Well, I think that it's just hard to do and something, again, that we really should be helping women figure out. Um, and, and men, um, you know, I think it's hard to jump out at any point in your career and jump back in. And 
I gave it a double whammy of when I jumped out and then jumped back in, I knew that I needed to find something that used my legal skills and my law degree, but was a little bit different than what I had been doing. Um, I think for anyone, they're going to hit a certain stage in their career where they feel like they need a little bit of personal fulfillment in it. And if you're not getting it from your, you know, too many hours former job, you're probably going to look elsewhere. (laughs) But that prevents some additional challenges of, as you pointed out, of having to figure out you know, who are the the people to network with and where are the places to go and are there professional societies, et cetera. I stepped out for a little while after my second child was born, um, gave me the opportunity to see if, you know, staying home was for me, if going back to work was for me. And what I realized during that time period was that I liked to work, but that I also wanted a career that I could carve out when the kids had an important event at school. I wanted to be there for those things. I think that that's tough. And and figuring out how to jump back in is tough. Um, I went and met with a lot of different, I talked to career advisors, I talked to just, you know, every friend who would take a meeting, um, you name it. And the first thing I found was that every person who I talked to sort of pushed me into a legal career again. Mm. And I could not have wanted to run away from my legal career more. Um, <laughs> you know, I had 10 great years of being a litigator, but did not want to do that anymore. Yeah. Um, and and again, going into you know the legal department of a major corporation or being even a public advocate, you know, as a lawyer was just not what I wanted to do. Although you know that's that's a good thing if you know if you you know maybe for some people that is the right twist. I wanted more of a, a diametrically opposite <laughs> shift. Yeah, yeah. But getting creative and thinking outside the box um, is both hard, I think, for the individual, and then also to get people to see your resume in a little bit of a different way. And I don't know if that's gender specific or that's just I was at a certain stage of my career where it was kind of hard to do a shift and pivot. Mm-hmm. I do think taking it back to the gender lines that men are more willing to say, well, of course I'm qualified for this job. And frankly, we see it with candidates all the time. Um, You know, it's cliched, but how many people that we're recruiting to come in and and be candidates, you know, the women tend to say, well, I don't have the experience for that. And maybe just maybe they have all the experience they need for it, but they haven't served specifically in elected office, um, you know, or sort of one of your traditional paths. Whereas we hear anecdotally, and I don't recruit male candidates to run, but we hear all the time um, of men who... They say, oh, are you interested? Absolutely. I could be a great representative. <laughs> and and I mean, the, the experience is maybe completely off. But, you know, that's just something that I think that many men are, are more than happy and willing to do. And we need to build the confidence within our women to understand that as well. Yeah. What advice do you have for women who may be taking a break or mm-hmm. contemplating taking a break? What would you advise them to do sort of regardless of uh, career track? Um, during that time period? Well, I think finding professional or finding fulfillment in some activity is helpful. You know, it may be that you love to do art. It may be that you love to study. It may be that you love to, you know, take lunches with interesting people. But staying active, I think, is incredibly important and finding personal fulfillment through whatever avenue it is. I personally started to figure out my path by talking to anyone and everyone who would talk to me. If I was out with you and you told me you had a colleague who had interesting over overlapping ideas, I was going to meet and have coffee or do lunch with you with them the next week. Um, and frankly, that's how the opportunities came for me to do a shift. Um, it was, you know, I think it's it's rare that you automatically say, well, I want to do X and then can jump in and do it. I think you have to kind of catch some lucky breaks. And the more, the more networking that you can do can help with that. Yeah, absolutely. So we 
mentioned your terrific team a couple mm-hmm. of minutes ago. I believe it's exclusively women. Right? <laughs> Not by mandate, but yes. It's exclusively yes. women. Yeah. So, and because you have worked in predominantly male-dominated mm-hmm. fields, so how does it differ on a day-to-day basis or does it? Oh, it very much so does. <laughs> um, we're very collaborative, which I like. Um, we are less siloed. I find that we, I, I'm lucky I have a great team. Um, we've pulled in, um, you know, our political director has great political experience. Um, our comms director is a wonderful communicator. Um, same goes with our operations and our analytics directors. You know, I think we just have a fantastic group. Um, and, a, and a very experienced and distinguished group, mm-hmm. too, who've come out of very high-level jobs across Republican politics. Well, I appreciate you saying that. You're and we, we've been very lucky to, to have the hires that we do um you know we we were able to hit the ground running very quickly with that and that's that's due entirely to we have a we have a really great team but you know we we are willing and in fact just i think fall into working together a lot um that doesn't mean that people aren't owning their own roles and their own their own projects but i think that this team of women is particularly good at figuring out ways to see the overlapping nature of everyone's job and everyone's projects and accordingly pull in input from everyone and that I think is a little bit different. You know, my my law firm days, you were given an assignment in a in a in a staff meeting. You went to your office, you closed the door, you were there for the next forty nine hours straight, um, with you know a locked door, not a lot of food, and then hopefully you came out with a brief that was going to sort of anonymously go through the channels. And you know, some of that's industry specific. We work a little bit more on the fly um, in this world. It's a little bit less regimented, but also I think that we see the value and the need for for working with each other and sort of bouncing ideas off. And I think that's very, um, I don't know, I personally think that's pretty a woman-specific trait, yeah, <laughs> but, yeah. but in a good one. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. What about the ones that maybe are not quite as positive, the stuff that we talk about a lot on this podcast, mm-hmm. things like self-doubt mm-hmm. and perfection and potentially rumination or overthinking, things like that, that certainly you can get control of, but do you see those types of tendencies playing out uh, in that you're working with a predominantly or exclusively female team? Um, here and there, here and there, sure. Um, again, you know, I think I'll go back to that one of confidence in that I think sometimes women are less willing to sort of just assume they have the right idea um, or think I personally can get hamstrung by what is the right way to do it instead of what is a way to do it and I'll sell it at the end. Um, you know, we're, we're getting better at it. But that's something that we we at times have to kind of push ourselves to work through. Meaning not waiting until it's completely 100 percent, but right. maybe 80 percent. Right. There. Right. Yeah. Um, and, you know, that's something that, again, we are we are improving on. Um, you know, I think the other part is in politics, getting anyone to commit to the importance of a, of a niche idea can be a challenge. And again, pushing pushing a broad idea out there that we need to work to put more women in office has its challenges at times. And then I think at times when it's all women on staff, you know, you get labeled. And at the end of the day, we're an organization that's out there supporting success in the way that every other group um, in the Republican Party is doing. But working through that and getting sort of commitment and belief in our team, um, especially when it's a brand new organization, is a struggle as well. You touched on this a little, the um, sort of identity politics, mm-hmm. if you will. And as you and I both know, that has and continues to be in some in some segments of the Republican Party an issue yep. where some people don't think there should be any specific effort given to electing more women, but mm-hmm. instead elect the best candidate. And while you and I would probably agree, we 
we want to see yep. the best candidate yep. elected, but we just believe more of those are women. Yep. How are you seeing that mindset evolving and shifting? I think so. I do. Um, you know, again, I think that our membership shows that there are people out there who believe that Republican women need the chance to get onto that ever so important playing field. Um, and you know, you're not going to you're not going to sign up and become a member of my organization and get a hundred billion emails a week <laughs> if, if you don't see the the need for it. I think that, and this is a good shift that. There is a growing awareness across the country that people want to see more diversity, more inclusion, and that includes gender diversity and gender inclusion. Accordingly, that's where I think you see a shift in this. Um, I think that I, there's a need, um, and I, I do think that people are rallying behind it. Yeah, finally. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm happy yeah. to hear it. Yeah. We ask everyone who comes on the podcast mm-hmm. for a single piece of advice or a life hack or mantra. You've already given us some great advice, but if you had to boil it down to just one thing, maybe something that you share regularly with younger members of your team, what would that be? Oh, that is a great question. <laughs> um, for my own self, again, sort of jumping in and just not being afraid, like to use a cliche, not letting the perfect get in the way of the good um, is something that I've had to learn over, again, my, my the course of my career, and I'm continuing to learn. It's a, it's an ongoing process. Um, but, you know, that, that ability to just let yourself jump in and not be hampered by your fears is something that I think that that I could use more of and, and I'm working to improve on every day. Amen. Amen, yeah. sister. Rebecca, thank you so much for oh, being here. Oh, thank you, Laura. We really appreciate it. Uh, you can learn more about Rebecca via our website at www.shesaidshesaidpodcast.com. There you will find additional notes from today's visit as well as links to Winning for Women that will show you how to get engaged. If you haven't had a chance, please be sure to sign up on the website as well as subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. And don't forget, we would love to hear your feedback. As always, thanks so much for listening.